0: So this is um, this is what I like to think of as season two.
1: Season two after a very short season one. Yes. A pilot season, if you will.
0: Yeah, the hiatus was almost longer than the season, but we're back again now.
1: I think if we don't say it, people won't notice. Oh, yeah. So we're back anyway aren't
0: we? We are back yeah we're back back. lots has happened lots of things to um, talk about. Lots
1: to chat about and um, I've missed doing this.
0: Yeah me too actually.
1: We've just both been really busy and I I suppose we've we've come to the conclusion that that is going to happen sometimes. Yeah. So um, we want to get the student of us out as often as possible and there'll be some times when we just can't and Sorry about that, but we'll do our best because um, we really enjoy doing it, and it's so nice um, when people send us messages. People we don't know send us messages saying, "Loving the podcast. Uh, when's the next one out?"
0: Yep, I, I'm so grateful to everyone who's been enjoying it and sending their ideas in. So yeah, yeah. I, you... I'm always, I'm more grateful than Stu, actually. How much more? Where, where are you on the scale? No, no, no. You quantify your gratefulness first. I'm. I'm if we call yours. X. X, yes. I'm X plus one. X, oh. So that's like almost the same, really, isn't
1: it? No, mine's more. If you had to give us the 30 second, what's been happening in the universe? Would it be? Oh, yes. Go. I tell you what. Let's do it like the news at ten. I'll do the. I'll do the gongs. Okay. You do the. You do the gongs. And you. Um. And then you do each one as a headline. Okay. Just quick stuff. Is that okay? Uh. Yep. Okay. Here we go.
0: Okay. Da 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 Dong A strange radio flash from across the universe has um done something and been demystified. <laughs> Dong another one. God um, um oh yes, people think we can get to Mars in three days. Dong I know how a space toilet works. Ooh, that's exciting more.
1: It's that old favourite, that old chestnut. It's becoming almost a regular feature, isn't it? Gravitational waves. And hold on, is it our old friend Lisa? Lisa Pathfinder?
0: Not in this instance, actually. Oh, OK. It's um, it's a completely different uh, ground-based observatory called LIGO. That's not as
1: exciting, is it?
0: Uh, it does have massive laser beams in it. You've got me. It all just happened. These signals that we thought were there, these gravitational waves predicted 100 years ago by Albert Einstein, have now definitively been detected. So it is quite, quite extraordinary. I mean, it's genuinely groundbreaking. The story that goes behind it... um, Is that a number of these um, gravitational wave observatories have been built around the world? They need to measure disturbances. These gravitational waves themselves are about a thousandth the width of an atomic nucleus.
1: Oh, okay. I thought you can see a human hair. No way.
0: Much smaller than that. Much smaller than (laughs) that. You idiot. (laughs) (laughs) When they turned the equipment. On in sort of September of last year, they were just getting ready to begin the final checks and to start taking data. And they'd spent um, about a year upgrading the equipment. And so they were all ready and they were hopeful of seeing something you know, within six months or so. Right. Uh, they saw something even before they'd started taking their real science data a really, really big signal and unexpectedly large, um, which is why it was so obvious and and so soon to be discovered. And in the analysis of this, um, the only thing they can find that really fits this signal that they've seen is the collision of two black holes, and each of the black holes is about 30 times the mass of the Sun. And now they're one combined um, black hole, about 1.3 billion light years away. So, a super black hole. It is a yeah. It's a it's a it's, it's a it's a puzzling size for a black hole. It's something that's called an intermediate mass black hole. And we know how black holes of a few times the size of the sun are formed. They come from exploding stars. And then at the centre of every galaxy you see supermassive black holes which are millions to billions of times the mass of the sun. But this sort of um, you know, 30 to 100 to 1,000 times the mass of the sun, uh, we know of a few of those kinds of black holes, um, but they're, they're very rare they seem to be mm-hmm. and we don't really know um, how, they, how they form. So to see these straight away um, is, is fantastic. Actually, it is, as I think I've said before, it's like having a whole new sense with which to um, observe the universe. So we've, we've got sight sussed, you know, you see yeah. the light and all the other radiations. Um, but now to be able to detect these ripples in the space time continuum, the gravitational waves, it's like adding sound into the mix as well. So uh, the way we look at the universe um, is just going to change completely. This is this is Nobel Prize winning territory, without question.
1: You do look very excited.
0: I am genuinely excited about this, actually. Yeah, I mean, I ran the I ran the Guardian's live blog that day, and it was just it was thrilling. There'd been quite a lot of leaks leading up to it, so we pretty much knew what to expect. But even so, just the actual announcement. Um, itself that yeah, this was true. The rumours were true, and one of the reasons for the the, the rumours leaking out is because the scientific collaboration that's worked on on the LIGO observatory is it, about a thousand scientists, so it's, it's pretty hard to keep all of them quiet. <laughs> but the other thing, of course, is that they did it absolutely um, scientifically correctly and they had all their results peer-reviewed by others before they announced them. So again, it's another route for leaks to happen. But it does mean that everything's been totally checked through. So this one is not going to go away and the signal is just so obvious that it, it's, it's, it's clearly um, a positive detection.
1: I'm going to say something now that might sound, well, stupid. Surely not. I reckon it's possible. What does this discovery mean for us? I know you said about giving us that new sense for understanding the universe, but on a practical level.
0: The honest answer is is it's not clear yet what this could do for us, what this um, will help. We're seeing these minuscule distortions now in this space-time continuum and the space-time continuum is this mathematical construction that Einstein um, invented with which to understand the universe. It's like a framework and we just don't know what the reality of the space-time continuum is. We know we can uh, describe it with mathematics but we don't know what it is. But now that we're actually seeing um, things happening to the space-time continuum, these gravitational waves, maybe the continued study of them will show us uh, or give us clues into what space-time truly is. And that's really where all our progress in fundamental physics reaches the stumbling point. Every time you try to go deeper than the theories we have, one way or another, you always end up just running aground on the fact that you don't know what the space-time continuum is actually is is it particles itself is it something else you know what 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 is it and so this gives us another route into that if we can understand that obviously every time we've understood something atomic structure for example electronics has given us electronics things like that you know we've always found a way to manipulate it and use it Mm -hmm. and so you know understanding the space-time continuum will inevitably lead to us doing new things, new technology, new engineering, that kind of thing. Maybe even all the big science fiction ideas you talk about, uh, you hear about such as warp drives and anti-gravity and and things like that. You're speechless.
1: Yeah, it's just, it's, it's huge, isn't
0: it? It is huge.
1: I mean, quite literally, Yeah. And very small. And very small. Tiny. I want to talk about radio waves. Radio waves, yes. And I know that you've had an article in The Guardian recently, haven't you? What is this story about?
0: Well, this story story really is um, quite interesting. Uh, It began over 10 years ago when an astronomer called Duncan Lorimer noticed in some data from a radio telescope in Australia, the Park 64-metre dish, uh, he noticed that there were these incredibly strong, really powerful blasts of radio waves, but that they lasted um, for a very short period of time, I mean, a millisecond or something like that. And he was just looking through archive data, just to see what he could see but this sort of stood out head and shoulders this one signal above everything else and so he drew attention to it and other people started looking uh, and since and since about 2001 um we have only detected 17 of these bursts and they get called the fast radio bursts they have been compl- who came up with that just <laughs> Just a genius one of the local talents <laughs> yeah slow down boffins <laughs>
1: you're going to honestly you're going to burn out if you carry on at this speed uh, at, at that level yeah uh, so, and, uh, so 17 of them Yep. Yeah, just 17 when you say 17 bursts so how long did these bursts last was it just,
0: just one single one each time or? yeah one single one each time for a millisecond or so
1: and that, that counts as one of the 17
0: bursts Burst. yes yes and there were 17
1: of these since when?
0: Since about 2001. Most of them were detected also by the Parkes radio um, telescope, which made some people think that perhaps it was something that was peculiar to the to the antenna, that it was a fault or something like that. Or a wallaby. Well, in fact, when they went looking, they found other um, radio bursts in the Parkes data that looked like they might be these fast radio bursts. And so they but they, and there were many, many more of them. Um they called them uh oh, what is it? They gave them a, a a rather strange name, peritons. I don't know why they called them that. It's not obvious, like fast radio burst. They discovered that these ones came from <laughs> Came when they heated up their lunch in the local in the microwave ovens, <laughs> and, and if if they opened the door before the clock had ticked and uh, the magnetron had stopped, as they opened the door, a little burnt microwaves affected uh, you know hit the dish, and uh, and and made a spike that looked like it was some kind of massive interstellar catastrophe. <laughs>
1: Okay. So is it possible that someone has had scrambled egg 17 times since 2001?
0: Or like an alien in a distant galaxy has has, has made scrambled egg. Or a (laughs) wallaby. No. The majority of the fast radio bursts were just seen in archive data, but. Then they saw another one with a different telescope, so proving that these are real things. And they managed to sort of rig up alert systems so that when the telescopes um, picked one up, it, it, would, it would send out an, a, an, a, an email or a text to astronomers and other observatories around the world. And they could instantly sort of try and locate it on, you know, and see what, what was there. The result that was published this week was of the 17th burst, which had been localised. Other telescopes had pinpointed it and found that it was in a distant galaxy. And more than that, another radio telescope had been able to see a really faint sort of radio glow that persisted for about six days after this initial big burst mm-hmm. of radio. Um, and that, that looks very similar, in fact, to the kind of signal that you get from uh, colliding um, neutron stars and black holes, so tiny dead stars, Uh, These are not the gravitational waves. These are electromagnetic rays that, that come out. But it makes it look very much like these fast radio bursts come from these colliding dead stars. But the important thing, one of the key characteristics about the fast radio bursts is that as they travel through space... And they come. This particular one came colossal distance, about six billion light years. Mm -hmm. Uh, And as it passes through space, the 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 gas and the matter that it passes through separates the frequencies, rather like light um, gets separated into colours when it goes through a prism.
1: prism.
0: So the fact that they'd seen the galaxy. That this thing was in meant that they could measure the distance to it which is how they got the six billion light years and that means that they can calculate the amount of matter that it's passed through um, in order to have its frequencies separated in the way that they observe it and that gives them a way to measure the amount of mass in that line of sight in the universe so as we Progress to finding more and more of these fast radio bursts, and doing this with them, we'll be able to weigh the universe.
1: This is what I reckon happened in Australia. Hey, uh, Mike. Yeah, Mike, can you uh, come over here for a moment? Yeah, what's what's that, Glenn? It's probably called Glenn. Uh, Have a look at that. What do you see on that piece of paper there? It looks like a uh, a very uh, minuscule, very short radio burst. Yeah. I tell you what, Mike. Yes, Glenn. I reckon we can use that to weigh the universe. <laughs> How's that
0: happened? That, that is exactly how it happened, um, with just two minor inconsistencies with the truth. Is <laughs> it <laughs> oh,
1: blasted wallaby? <laughs> oh, yeah. He's, he's opened the microwave before it's finished. You'll we'll probably see that appear on the graph. <laughs> I'm leaving you, Glenn. That's we've gone into soap territory.
0: We, we are doing more of these recreations <laughs> for definite.
1: Stu, can I get to Mars in three days? <laughs> why is everyone telling me I can? I mean not me specifically.
0: Yeah, this is um this is I mean this is interesting. So light has pressure. Uh, the Japanese actually have done this. They um unfurled a great big silver sail in space. Like the inside oh, of a crisp packet really, but ginormous oh. and sailed on the, the the pressure of the sunlight to Venus. Oh. S- yeah. You heard that correctly.
1: When did this happen?
0: A couple of years ago.
1: What do you mean, sailed?
0: So, so the light um, exerts a pressure. So it's just like like the wind, really. Um, so you sail on the wind here on Earth. You can sail on the pressure of sunlight in space. And these these are what we call um, solar sails. <laughs>
1: That's true. i <I'm> Mike. <laughs> <laughs> I've got this, uh, well, I've got this uh, well, I suppose you'd call it a sail that's just riding on solar. That's it. The idea it. for a name?
0: Yeah. Sorry. you got to do it in bunny ears. Yeah. I think we should call it solar Sails.
1: Solar sails. <laughs> I like it. I'm leaving you, Glenn. <laughs> Enough of that. Sorry. So solar sail, and that went to Venus. Yeah,
0: yeah. So the idea sort of really is that, uh, if if you can do that with sunlight, well, lasers are ultra concentrated light, mm. so they'll give you um, a bigger push. And um, yeah, there's, uh, there's there's been some calculations that perhaps you could rig up a, uh, a a laser sort of photonic propulsion or something like that, and and perhaps get to Mars in um, you know days rather than months. Like um,
1: surfing on a wave.
0: A little bit like that, yeah, but more like sailing as the name implies um on, on light yes as the name also
1: implies <laughs> <laughs> don't okay. include that bit john it makes it sound stupid <laughs> you made a rash promise oh, in our last podcast didn't you yes yeah
0: i did What was that promise? That was to find out how a space toilet exactly worked.
1: Have you discovered how a space toilet
0: works? I have. So you need some form of vacuum device. To suck. Uh, Yes. Okay. I am now going to read you verbatim Mm -hmm. a paragraph from Wikipedia. The male urine receptacle is a plastic funnel two to three inches in width, and about four inches deep. A male astronaut urinates directly into the funnel from a distance of two or three inches away. The female funnel is oval and is two inches by four inches wide at the rim. Near the funnel's rim are small holes or slits that allow air movement to prevent excessive suction.
1: If I was on that space station, I'm not sure I'd be able to go. No. I couldn't (laughs) be doing it. If there's a vacuum going... (laughs) That wouldn't help. Shall we do a quick big fat galactic liar yes I'm so excited about this although um, I'm feeling like what's the current score Uh, is it 3-1 it's it's
0: something like that yeah my batting average is not really very good on this one so so here we go and I can see
1: you're trying to psych me out with cricket references so uh,
0: I'm going to try and bowl you a
1: googly he's running scared ladies and gentlemen (laughs) he's running scared (laughs) with analogies neither
0: of us know or understand Uh. Okay, so here they come. Big fat galactic liar. Actually you usually do the um introduction. That's right, I don't so... mind. No 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 you do it. Big fat galactic liar. Fact number one. Astronomers see a star explode somewhere in the universe every minute.
1: Star
0: explode every minute. Fact number two. The largest volcano in the known universe is on Mars, one of the smallest planets. And big fat galactic liar, fact number three. It is colder at our moon's south pole than it is on the surface of Pluto.
1: Wow, okay, so fact number one is um, an astronomer not presumably not the same one sees a star explode every minute correct there are a lot of stars out there I know that to be true there are a lot of astronomers out there I know that also to be true um I I think that sounds quite I think that sounds quite plausible at the moment the largest volcano in the known world um, universe is on Mars, one of the smallest planets. That sounds plausible to me because it's a kind of, it's a rocky planet, isn't it? And so you know, there absolutely could be a volcano there, like one of these big gassy giants. Correct. Yep. That's... Which, by the way, I could have been described as on Wednesday evening. A
0: gassy giant. Yeah.
1: yeah it was terrible.
0: Yeah, I've witnessed this a couple of times. I didn't. I don't even know what I ate. <sighs> Just everything.
1: Yeah, well, I suppose, yeah, I did eat everything. I don't know why I'm not losing weight. (laughs) I'm leaving you, Glenn. No. Um, So, that, so I'm trying to think, where else could you see? Um, There are other planets that, are there other planets that aren't? Uh, rocky, Yeah, Pluto must be rocky, is it?
0: Yeah, a bit rocky, icy. Then you've got um, Venus as well, and you've got Mercury uh, as well. And, of course, the Earth. Of course. All our volcanoes, you know, on the Earth.
1: Right, so I'm starting to think maybe that one isn't as plausible. But let me deal with big fat galactic liar. Um, fact number three. The moon in the South Pole is colder than Pluto. Right, now I think that's possible because presumably the South Pole is the one that never ever sees sunlight, ever. It's always the dark side of the moon. Get you and your Pink Floyd references. Mm. Comfortably numb. Is that Pink Floyd? Yes. Yes! Oh, I don't know any of us so I won't won't attempt any. Now I reckon that is plausible because it's not like there's an atmosphere to trap in heat. So I think, I think because it never ever sees the sun, I suppose it might get a bit of bounce back from other things, but they're quite far away. So I reckon I'm going to say This episode's lie is number two. I reckon there's a bigger volcano that we know of elsewhere. I reckon it could even be here on Earth. Could you reveal the answer? I could. Yeah. What now? Sometime. Whenever you're ready. Don't rush it.
0: (laughs) Um... This week's Big Fat Galactic Liar um, is, in fact, number one. Oh! Okay.
1: Let me describe Stu's face in this moment of victory. Imagine a child that's just been told that not only are they going to Disneyland Paris or Euro Disney, whatever it's called, Disneyland Paris, but their parents have just bought them Disneyland Paris. (laughs) And I'm bringing it over and sticking it just outside Harlow. And only one person's allowed in, and it's that child. So what's the truth then? If they don't see one explode
0: every minute, how often? Every day. Oh. That's still quite a lot, isn't it? It's still quite a lot. Yeah. It's about one star explodes somewhere in the universe that we detect um, about every day. The largest volcano... um, is indeed on Mars, and it's called Olympus Mons. Mm-hmm. So, Good old uh, Olympus Mons, and um, presumably
1: not terribly active.
0: No, um, so we would think it is it, it, it is extinct. Um, there is the tiny, tiniest chance um, that it could just be dormant, uh-huh. and yet your reasoning was exactly right for why it's um, uh, colder at the Moon's south pole. Than at Pluto, because Pluto's surface sees the sun, Yeah. yeah. but just from a, admittedly from an extremely long way away. Um, but there are uh, crater floors at the moon's south pole. Uh, there's one called Shackleton Crater, uh, and they uh, probably never seen the sun. Huh. So it's as cold as really as it can possibly be there. So um,
1: would it be a good place to keep the beer? <laughs> That's another universe. That's
0: done. Done. Yeah. Dusted. Put on the shelf.
1: Yeah, so this episode has been edited by John Shearer, who also provides some of the music for our podcast. So thanks, John. As ever, if you've got something you'd like to say to us or a question to ask, you can tweet us. You can tweet me at I'm Marco Sullivan. Or one word, no apostrophes. Or him.
0: Or him. You <laughs> at Doctor Stu Clark. D R S T U C L A R K. Yes,
1: yeah, so you can send us a message and we'll happily try and answer any questions. Thanks so much for listening. Keep on telling people about it and um, we will speak to you again. Very, your turn. Very soon. Bye. Bye bye.